From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. I'm Annalise Hensel from the WUWM Newsroom, sitting in for Marty Michelson this week. The first thing that I wanted to talk to JR about was the special elections that are taking place on Tuesday in Lodi and De Pere. The elections are for two legislative seats that are vacant, and they are the elections that Governor Walker tried to put off until the fall, until courts ordered him that he had to schedule the elections to fill the posts in a prompt manner. Some observers, especially Walker's critics, thought that the governor was fearful of Democratic wins and the so-called blue wave that has resulted in Democratic victories and special elections in Wisconsin and other states. Now Walker is downplaying what the results could mean. I asked Jr. whether he believes the elections could be a litmus test for the strength of the blue wave in Wisconsin. Well, here's the thing you have to keep in mind about these seats. They are both Republican seats. If you look at their typical performance, top of the ticket, these are not swing seats. They're ones that Republicans should not lose in a normal year. The question is, is 2018 a normal year? And beyond that, who's going to turn out for an election on June 12th? Like, we don't have elections in June in Wisconsin, right? So it's a totally kind of a a crapshoot. People I talk to you about who's going to be totally turn out in this election, especially when both these seats will be on the ballot again in November. But what I've kind of gleaned from talking to people is that, you know, if Democrats win both of these seats, and remember, the Republican-leaning seats, if Dems win both, then it is like that much more of a talking point to build a case for a blue wave coming. The question becomes, what Republican seat is really safe this fall? Um, You know, how Republicans have to be to say, okay, you don't have to worry about that one. If it's a split decision, if Dems win one, Republicans win the other, you could still make the case that there's something going on in Dems' favor, right? Because it's Republican, these Republican seats. But if Republicans win both, even though they're Republican-leaning seats, it'll kind of maybe tamper down the talk of a blue wave a little bit. Also, it'd give Republicans a shot in the arm because they haven't won anything in Wisconsin since January, right? They lost the Supreme Court race. They lost that 10th Senate District special election back in January up in western Wisconsin. So for them... It's a matter of being able to kind of say, hey, we've got something going for us, too. So that's the takeaway we've got from most people. But being this is politics, I can guarantee you, no matter how things turn out on Tuesday, there will be a spin from both sides and match the narrative they want to talk about. And don't forget, regardless of what happens on Tuesday, both seats are back on the ballot in November when it will be really for keeps because that will be full terms. when They're actually on the floor, in session, all that kind of good stuff uh, in both houses of legislature. In other elections-related developments, nomination papers for the fall races were due just more than a week ago. And since that time, there have been allegations of fraud and invalid signatures in a few cases. What is the latest? Uh, The Elections Commission is going to meet today, Monday, to take up and hear the complaints that were filed against these various nominations. I think there are like about a dozen of them. The most serious one is against a candidate, Clarice Daniels, uh, from the Watertown area. She's a Democrat who was accused in the complaint of basically forging signatures. Uh, not only did, is the complaint out there, but now the Watertown Police Department has opened up a criminal investigation. So uh, there were responses due late last week to these complaints, these challenges of the nomination papers. Ms. Daniels did not file a response to the complaint, which suggests people I talked to that she has bigger things to worry about than whether it's on the ballot 
in November. She's got to worry about a criminal investigation. So um, that one, if I had to bet, you know, bet, I would bet the election commission would probably knock her off the ballot. For most of these challenges, you know, the parties do this every cycle where they look through the nomination papers, see if anybody's close to the threshold of the minimum number you have to turn in. And if they are, they look for problems because if you can get somebody knocked out before the election, it's an easier path for your candidate to win. Or it might be the only obstacle to your candidate winning that race. So this is kind of typical stuff that the parties do. I'm not a lawyer. I can't tell you for sure if any of them are going to be successful with the for the commission today. But other than the, there are a lot of people think the one against Daniels is going to be successful because she didn't bother challenging it. Turning to the U.S. Senate race, as we've discussed, there's a really hot Republican primary contest. It's between Republican State Senator Leah Vukmir and political newcomer and businessman Kevin Nicholson. Both of them want the chance to take on Democratic incumbent Tammy Baldwin in November. In the past week, there have been dueling news releases from the campaigns touting endorsements and touting the candidates' performance in polls. How do you see things based on what's been coming out lately? Is there a front runner? Well, uh, what's interesting is you've got to take any poll from a campaign or a super PAC with a grain of salt, right? Because these guys have a a vested interest in the turnout or the results of that poll. So the only polls you've seen lately are from Leah Vukmer's campaign and from a super PAC that isn't supporting her. And Vukmer's campaign had the race fairly neck and neck. Nicholson was up two points, but that's well in the margin of error in her poll. Uh, the other one was the super PAC backing her, actually had Leah in the lead. Um, but again, they're, they're from people who have a vested interest in the outcome. It's worthy of note, though, that not that long ago, Nicholson was touting his own polls that she had him up by 18 points. What's happened since then is we've seen the state party endorse Vukmir at its convention. The delegates voted and decided to back her. We've seen a radio ad from the state party touting that. We've seen a, a TV ad from the super PAC backing her, talking about the endorsement. So there may be a case where she's already to get more kind of media attention, more paid media attention, I should say, for these ads, and that's helping to pump up her numbers. But we still have a ways to go. Uh, Nicholson still has his millionaire backer in his corner. She has hers. So it's a ways away from this thing being done. But you'd have to say that there's some momentum for Vukmir right now that we're seeing a tightening in these polls. Now on to an elections-related story of a different nature. It's about debates. Debates, of course, are a way for voters to get a chance to learn about the candidates. And there was debate-related news at the end of last week when the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association said it would cancel the debate that it had planned to hold among the Democratic candidates for governor. The Wisconsin Broadcasters Association said because there were so many Democrats in that race that only the top performing Democrats at this point in time with respect to polls and respect to fundraising would make the cut for the debates. And that led to outcry from some of the candidates and others who said that that was not a fair way to go. And that resulted in the cancellation of the debates. Do you think the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association made the right call by pulling the plug on the debates? That's a good question. I've been asking people about that, and the feedback I've gotten is, you know, on the one hand, the broadcasters could have just stuck their gun and said, hey, look, it's our debate, we're going to do our criteria, and that's it. Because even though some Democrats complained about the criteria, the people I talked to would have bet that those four that got picked, if they'd done this, would have shown up. 
because you're talking about an opportunity to have a statewide audience that you can speak to and have them listen to your message about why you think you should be the Democratic nominee and take on Scott Walker. Another perspective I heard some people say, well, the broadcasters could have just changed their criteria a little bit, you know, maybe gone to five candidates or six or had two debates, you know, one on TV like they had expected, one broadcast over, you know, a live stream over the internet, you know, something like that. Because what's happening is you're losing an opportunity for these Democrats to have to speak to a statewide audience. And honestly, I've talked to some Democrats who they want the field to be narrowed. So if the broadcast had done it for them, it would have helped identify some top tier candidates. Now, there are all kinds of problems with that. Charles Franklin, the head of the Marquette poll, was not happy about his poll being used as basically the benchmark for who got in. You know, there also was he had to raise $250,000 by the last reporting period before the debate. And a lot of the attention has been on the Democrats and that piece of this. Don't forget, they also canceled the Republican primary debate they were going to have for U.S. Senate, which means Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson have one fewer opportunity to be before the statewide audience and, you know, present their visions to the state about what they think should happen in the U.S. Senate race. Thanks, Jr. We'll talk more about this and other topics next week. Anytime. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.